You know, one of the things that I think that we as human beings find um, at least kind of intriguing are the final words of famous people. You know, there's the last statements made by these people whose lives that we look at and go, wow, you know, like this person's life is is titanic. And by that we mean it's huge and it's invulnerable, it's unsinkable, because that was the claim of the boat, wasn't it? Until it wasn't. I want to read you a few statements. Sir Isaac Newton, who was the culminating figure of the scientific revolution of the 17th century, reached the end of his life, and then here's what he said. He said, I don't know what I may seem to the world... But as to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then and finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. Leonardo da Vinci, universally regarded as one of the greatest artists ever, reached the end of his life and looked back and he said this, he says, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. So the Mona Lisa was not good enough, apparently. Steve Jobs said this, he says, At this moment, lying on the bed, sick and remembering all my life, I realize that all my recognition and wealth that I have is meaningless in the face of imminent death. You can hire someone to drive a car for you, make money for you, but you cannot rent someone to carry the disease for you. One can find material things, but there is one thing that cannot be found when it is lost. Life. It's remarkable, isn't it? Made me think of this study. You know, as Matt said, we're in this series and it's called Unsinkable. We're finishing it up today, but again, what have we talked about? Well, we talked about truth, Sir Isaac Newton. And we talked about God, Leonardo da Vinci. And then last week we got together and we talked about the gospel through which we find life. And in fact, through which we find an eternal life, a life that begins at the end of this life. Guys, that is so great it makes leaving this life behind no longer a matter of loss, but one of joy and one of gain. It's remarkable. And as we come today to the final words of Jesus, the most famous person and significant person to have ever lived, Okay, well, then we come to the final pillar of an unsinkable life, and that is the unsinkable pillar of mission, meaning of what it is that you and I are supposed to do with our lives between this moment that we're living right in this moment, right now, and that moment that comes not just for famous people, but that comes for every person. And I'm going to give you the answer up front. So here's the answer. We are to speak and we are to live in such a way as to bear witness to Jesus. And Jesus makes that clear as Luke records it for us in the book of Acts. So Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, as well as the book of Luke, says this in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He says in the first book, that is to say, in the book of Luke that I've already written and sent to you, O Theophilus. You're like, who's Theophilus? That's his patron. That's the business guy who came to Luke and said, look, I've noticed you've got a real gift for writing. Like, I really think that you're anointed of God for this. And and by the way, you have all of this access. Like, you hang out with all the apostles. You you know the Lord's mom. Like, I'm going to give you the space to just make this your mission. Go and write an account. Research it carefully of the life of Jesus. And then do that for the church. What is the Spirit doing through the apostles? What is the Spirit doing through His church? Luke says to that guy... What a powerful ministry he had. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have already dealt with all that Jesus, and then here's our key word, began to do and teach. 
Why is that significant? Because it tells you that whatever it is that Jesus did during his earthly life, he just began to do. He didn't stop. And it tells you that whatever it is that Jesus taught during his earthly life, okay, well, that didn't end with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension either. So in other words, what he did and what he taught continues on even in our day, and it continues on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that I want us all to get through people like me and you. Through people who realize, wait a minute, so Jesus has a work and he's alive in me by his spirit. And so like there are things that he wants me to do, which then begs the question of, well, then what was Jesus doing during his life that he wants to continue to do through us? Well, just to give you a short list, he fed the hungry. He dealt with oppression and injustice and stood up against it. He healed the sick. He gave a voice to the voiceless. In other words, Jesus didn't just come into a world that is broken and that's full of failure and that's full of sin, mine, yours, and everyone else's, and we're all affected, okay, and tell us how to be forgiven of sin. He clearly does that, and please don't miss it because it's hugely important and we need to do that too and we'll get to it. But he also addressed people's sin-devastated lives. Hey, man, let me help you out with this. Let me give you some mercy for this. Let me show some grace for this. Let me feed you. Let me heal you. Let me help you in your addiction. That's why our work with the homeless matters. That's why our work with foster kids matter. That's why our work in the 33311 zip code right here in Fort Lauderdale matters. It's the poorest zip code in the whole of Broward County. Try to get your mind around this. 70% of the homeless families and 70% of the foster kids come from one zip code. That's why our partnership with Mount Bethel Human Services Corporation, there matters. It all matters. Santa's wish list matters. Our Bahamas relief work matters. On and on we can go. The idea being that Jesus didn't just teach the gospel. Jesus lived the gospel, and so ought we. That's the kind of doing that by the power of his spirit alive in us, he wants us to do because that's the continuation of his work. But then Jesus clearly did teach the gospel, and we need also to speak. We can't just be good doers. We have to be so enamored with Christ in here that we can't keep, we can't keep the voice of Him from coming out of here. That's why things like Alpha matters. And maybe you've been around and you know what Alpha is, or maybe you're like new and you're going, I don't know, what is Alpha? Alpha is a program that's run all over the world, but we do it here. We do it in our student ministries. We do it with adults. It's kicking off again, January 23. Alpha is an opportunity for you, if you are not a Christian, to just enter into a conversation about the big issues of life. You will hear the Christian perspective. We're a church, so no surprises, okay? But here's what else. You'll get a good meal. You'll meet people just like you. And you will have the opportunity to be heard in terms of what you think, in terms of what your thoughts are, what your concerns are, what your doubts are, what your skepticisms are, and not to be pressured and not to be argued with and not to be cajoled, but to be respected. And we find that people who are willing to go on that spiritual journey find it to be an immensely enjoyable journey, and sometimes the Spirit of the Lord speaks to them and says, hey, you know what, there's such a thing as truth, and and there is a God, and He exists, and by the way, there is a gospel, and He has a Son And there is a life beyond this life that's available freely to you, freely. That will, when the time comes, make leaving this life behind a matter of gain, a matter of joy. 
So Luke says this. He says that in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, meaning the day that he physically left planet earth and ascended back into heaven, but only after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And we'll look at the commands, but I want you to see how he approaches them and us. Because he doesn't come as somebody who's been defeated by sin. He comes as somebody who's defeated sin. He doesn't come as somebody who's been defeated by death. He comes as the only one ever who has himself defeated death. Luke says that Jesus presented himself, what, alive to his disciples when? After his suffering, meaning after he was crucified and killed on a cross and then lay dead in a tomb for three days. And he's very careful to tell us that he did this by many proofs, not a few, and over the course of how long a period of time? Because it's not 40 seconds. Like if Jesus appeared to you for 40 seconds, I think that alone would be like utterly transformational, don't you? It'd be like, uh, I mean, 40 seconds with Jesus? Incredible, right? What about 40 minutes? You just get your phone out and just say, go. You know, just like, go. We're just going to go for 40 minutes. Hope you don't run out of power, you know? Like, amazing! 40 hours even better. Look, you can have a weird 40 seconds. Can we agree on that? You can have a strange 40 minutes. We, we had a guy in the first service, uh, and he went to Woodstock, and he will tell you, you can have a strange 40 hours, actually. You can say, <laughs> the whole thing can be weird for just 40 hours straight. Jesus appeared to these people. It says elsewhere in the New Testament, as many as 500 at one time. Most of them still alive when this document is written. So, you know, if it wasn't true, they'd go, hey, listen, come on, you know, Luke's out to lunch on this. And he convinced them by many proofs over the course of 40 days that indeed he was alive, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Look, Jesus is the risen Savior, and he proved that by many proofs over 40 days to these people. And I hope that we can all at least agree that these people were at the very least convinced that they had spent 40 days with a risen Jesus. Because here's what they then did. They sacrificed the deepest and most profound relationships in their world. Family, friends, parents, kids, siblings. For preaching a risen Jesus. They sacrificed their businesses. They sacrificed their reputations. They became pariahs. Think about this. They were hunted for preaching a risen Jesus, and not just like just them, but like their husband or wife and their kids. At some point, you start going, hey, you know, look, you can persecute me, but leave my kids out of it. No, that's not the way it worked. Kids in. Well, that had to be fun. They were tortured. They were executed in horrific ways. Not that there's a good way, but I think there's a difference between a firing squad and I'm crucified upside down. That was Peter, incidentally. And not one of them said, hey, you know what? I recant. They couldn't unsee what they had saw. So what had they seen? They had seen a risen Jesus. They had seen someone alive from the grave. And by the way, Christmas makes sense of it all. It makes sense of the whole of the life of Jesus. Because if, in fact, Jesus is God-made man, and just hang on, wouldn't you expect him to live a miraculous life? Like if you knew he was God-made man, or at least claimed to be, which he does, and then you read through the record of his life, would you, would you be looking for the mundane? 
Or would you be going, I don't know, I think he can heal the sick, you know, like, I mean, if he's God, come on, you know. And if the author of life himself said, look, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to lay down my life to pay the debt for my people, and it's, and it's all comers, like anybody can lay hold of the payment of this debt, just by faith it's yours, just come and take it. And on the morning of the third day, I'm going to come forth from the grave. And since I'm the author of life, that's not really a big deal for me. I mean, you would expect at least that if he is God, Christmas, that that really wouldn't be a big deal for him. That there would be nothing to be able to hold him in a grave. That he would, in fact, come forth. And look, these people, with their lives, are telling you today that he did. I think oftentimes we ask the wrong question of Christianity, and, and I think I understand the question, but I think the wrong question is, is it relevant? I understand it because, you know, I mean, you look at a Bible and it's really old, and you look at a Jesus and he's really old, and you look at all of these seemingly archaic things, and you think to yourself, I don't know, what could this book have for me? Like, I mean, how can this be relevant to my life? Okay, but the right question and the starting place is, is, is Christianity true? Because if it's true then it is automatically relevant. It's automatically relevant. And one of the things that's very clear from the historical record is that these people so believed it to be true that they laid down their lives that they might write these accounts and leave their testimony behind for you. Okay, they wrote it with their blood, guys. So Jesus comes to them. He's alive from the dead. He proves it by many proofs over 40 days. They're all in. They give their lives to it eventually. And Luke says that he talked to them about the kingdom of God, which is much bigger than just a conversation about the forgiveness of sins. Clearly, it involves that. Necessarily, it does. But Jesus' vision is much bigger than just the vision of a redeemed people. His vision captures the whole of the world and all of heaven. It's the vision of a redeemed everything, of a new heaven and of a new earth, a new earth that is devoid of all the things that we want to get rid of. It's devoid of hunger and it's devoid of sickness. It's it's devoid of divorce. It's devoid of betrayal. It's devoid of abuse. It's devoid of war. It's devoid of racism. It's devoid of death. It's devoid of all of that stuff. And it's full of everything that we're looking for because everything that we're looking for, we find in God. And in that world, we walk in a perfect relationship with God and perfect relationships with each other. And the really exciting part of the whole deal and the part that I really want you to get is that that's not just your eternal future if you have faith in Jesus. That is what you, as you go on mission now with Jesus, as you start doing what he did, as you start saying what he, what he taught, as you learn to speak and live in such a way as to bear witness to him, it's what you have the privilege of moving humanity toward. And as Matt said, that's the program. Like that's plan A, B, C, D, and all the way to Z. Be filled with the Spirit and go forth and bear witness to Christ. But since that can only be done in the power of the Spirit... Luke continues in verse 4, and he says this, that while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which had to be tough. I mean, like Jesus has just given them the greatest pregame speech ever. And so they're like, and they've seen a guy defeat death, so now what do you have to worry about? I've got to believe they're ready to go. And he's like, no, 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 you can't do it. Like, no, we've got a plan. Your plan doesn't matter. 
Oh, no, 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 but we're, we're pretty smart. Well, that's great. That's good to know. Yeah, we've got resources and we're able to do this and we're able to do that. Look at all this other. He's like, guys, have a seat. You can't do this without the Spirit. Jesus said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Do you know what that should do? That should make us a praying people. That is a most humbling statement because we're a pretty talented group. What does Jesus say about his mission? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what nothing means? It just, it means nothing. Like no thing. What does Paul say? Because he lived it. He says, I can do all things through my brilliance, and he was brilliant, no. Uh, through my ingenuity, no. Through the connections I have, no. Through the resources I have available, to, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This kind of idea should drive us to our knees. I mean, if we got Jesus in here and we want to see him proclaimed out here, then we need for God to move to do it. Luke continues, he says, So when they had come together with this promise of the Holy Spirit still ringing in their ears, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, but to whom? Because they're still missing it. To the nation state of Israel. What's wrong with that? Because it's, it's way too small. That's what's wrong with it. Again, Jesus' vision isn't the, isn't the vision of a, a redeemed little strip of land on the eastern Mediterranean that we call Israel and Palestine today. It's the vision of a redeemed whole world. And so Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but here's what you do need to know, last words of Jesus. You need to know that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then, and here's the mission, you will be my witnesses. Where? Well, in their case, Jerusalem. That was their city. Fort Lauderdale was ours. In all Judea and Samaria, which was their Broward County in South Florida, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again. And he'll come in the same way as you have saw him go, seen him go into heaven. And look, when he does, I think here's the question. <laughs> How did you use your moments? Like the moment between this moment and the moment that will come for all of us. So that takes me to the words, the final words of a not-so-famous person, a man named John Harper. How many of you have ever heard of John Harper? Like if you went to high school with somebody named John Harper, don't raise your hand, okay? That's not, that's not the John Harper I'm thinking of. Like a historic personage named John Harper. Anybody? Yeah, me neither. I, I heard of him actually this week. He's not the kind of guy you hear the name and go, yes, he lived a titanic life, which is on his case highly ironic because he was actually on the Titanic. He was one of the passengers. John Harper was a Scottish evangelist and a Baptist pastor in Scotland. Uh, he had been invited to come over and, and preach for like a week at the Moody Church in Chicago. And so he boarded the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter. His wife had already died, and his sister came along to take care of his daughter, and they began to cross. 
And when the ship, and you know the deal, hit the iceberg and began to sink, John Harper took his daughter and his sister and he put them in in one of the rescue boats. And then he took off and just ran around the ship telling people about Jesus. When the ship went down and he was in the water, he swam from person to person telling people about Jesus. A man, another Scotsman, floating on a piece of wreckage is one of the reasons we know this, because he actually survived. He was rescued. He said that he saw John Harper swimming around, and like a wave brought him over to this man. And, and John Harper said to him, are, you know, are you safe? Like, do you know Jesus? Has he forgiven you of your sins? Like, do you know that if you die that you're going to go to heaven? And, and the man said, no. And, and John Harper, quoting out of the book of Acts, said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And then a wave kind of took him away. And, and a little while later, the wave or whatever brought him back. And again, he said, you know, have you made your decision? Like, like, have you believed and trusted in Christ? And the man said, no. And again, he said, you know, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then John Harper took off his life vest and gave it to the man. That man made it. He did become a Christian, incidentally. And he says, I am the last convert of John Harper for he succumbed to hypothermia just like so many other people. I think 1,500 or so went down and sank to the bottom of the sea. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like an unsinkable life. It does to me. Sounds to me like a life that was built on truth, truth about a God who's real. And who has a real gospel through which he offers you a real life that is so much greater than this life that when it becomes your privilege to move from this life to that one, you're ready to go. And when you get there, you don't look back and go, I don't know. I wish I could. No. And it sounds to me like a guy who got that every moment, man, every moment is an opportunity to somehow, in some way, lift up Jesus, the way that you live and in the things that you say. So what do you do with a message like this? I think maybe the first thing you do is, is you just examine your own heart and you say, you know, where am I with regard to this Jesus? Because like the blood of all of these people who gave their lives unanimously saying, you know what, Jesus is alive, is calling out to us calls out to us if we have faith to strengthen our faith and embolden us to tell people about him. And it calls us to, out to us if we don't, saying, you know, Jesus takes all comers, man. And he makes you a new creation. He brings you into a relationship with God, the, the relationship that you were made for, not just in this life, but for forever. If you don't know Jesus, I think you respond by going, okay, now's my time. But I think that if you do know Jesus, then you start looking for ways to share the mercy of Jesus with people this Christmas. And I know that a lot of you have been delivering presents all over Broward County, which is awesome. That's actually the most fun part of the whole deal, and sounds like we have some more opportunity for that. But, you know, one of the axioms of life that I hold to is that you find what you're looking for, and you don't see what you intentionally don't look at. 
And I think if you just start praying, Lord, show me somebody in my family, show me somebody in my office, show me somebody in my neighborhood, show me perfect stranger, I don't know, show me people that I can show the love of Jesus to. And you start looking, you're going to find it. And then the last thing, as Matt said, I I think this is a great opportunity to invite somebody uh, to church and just let them experience the presence of God's people and the presence of God's spirit and and see what the Lord does with that. You know, it's it's not a it's not really a difficult ask to be honest. One of our elders, Bill Kelly, who has not been with us due to illness for a long time, but Bill was the, the best at this. You know, he used to say, "Man, I just go up to people and go, "Hey, where are you going? Everybody's going to church on uh, Christmas Eve. Where are you going? Do you want to come with me?" I'll save you a seat. I'll meet you here. You know, they don't have to come. There's no pressure in that. They might be honored. And then when you come, as Matt said, be missional. You know, I know you might want to coach them, by the way, to get here early. So if you're not, like, if you don't have the memo on that, that's that's an actual thing, okay? But if you get here early on Tuesday night and, you know, you've got little placards on your seat, you know, like Hendrick's family, stay away, you know, like... Just everybody stay out of my seat, you know, and you get here and you guys are all in your seat and, and you're comfortable and you showed up 20 minutes early and so you got your spot and all of that stuff. And then you look around and you see some family that you've never seen before that doesn't have a seat because they didn't get the memo. Give them your seat. Just get up and give them your seat. Stand in the back. Really, this isn't about us. This is about an opportunity for us to bear witness to Jesus in what we do and in what we say. So as we prepare our hearts for the table, I'm just going to pray, and I'll give you some time in the prayer to to interact with the Lord directly on your own as well. But Lord, we come to you, and we are so thankful that there is truth and that there is a God and that you're Him. We are so thankful that you have not left us to our failures, that you have not left us in, in our rebellion, that you've not left us to our futility, really, but that you have come to rescue in the person of Jesus. We thank you for these precious people who saw you alive and then went to their death because they would not unsee what they had seen and whose blood testifies to us all these years later of the reality of a Jesus who's not just a man, but who is God-made man, the defeater of sin, and in the end, the defeater of death as well. And I just want to give you a minute, like if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never uh, just come to Him and said, you know what, Lord, I need you. <laughs> I, I need you to make me clean. I need you to make me new. I need you to make me different. I need you to forgive and heal me. I need you to give me the peace that comes from knowing that, okay, this isn't the only life there is, and that there is a a life hereafter, and that it's been purchased and paid for by you, Jesus, and it's given to me as a free gift. I want all of that. So take me and forgive me and fill me with your spirit. I want to give you a moment, and you can just do that. Uh, You and God, there's no perfect words for that. But if you've done that, then I just want you to praise the Lord in that moment. Just sit in it for a minute and talk to him about it.
Lord, your spirit not only makes us alive and gives us faith, but he also empowers us for mission. We pray that you would humble us. Lord, that you would help us to move out of an understanding that apart from you, we can do nothing but in you. We can do all things. Pray that you would make us a praying people as a result. And Lord, I pray that we would pray prayers for the pouring out of your spirit that you would answer, and not just for our church, but for your church. We pray it for First Baptist. We pray it for Coral Ridge. We pray it for Calvary. We pray it for Riverside. We pray for Church by the Sea, for First Pres. We pray for First Christian. We pray for Crossway and West Pines, Hollywood Community. Lord, we pray it for Mount Bethel. We pray it for all of these churches in our community, full of all of these wonderful people. All of us utterly and totally inept, incapable of doing what you call us to do. And yet, if you fill us with your spirit, Lord, well, then we will be more than capable of calling or of doing what you've called us to do. So pour out your spirit upon us. And now each one of us as individuals, give us eyes to see people in need. Give us grace and patience to stop in the midst of this madness of the season and and to meet those needs. And Lord, who should we invite? So I want you to take a minute and pray for somebody that that you would invite uh, to come on Tuesday night. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We are so very thankful for you. We pray now as we prepare to come to this table that here that we might meet with you, that we might taste of your mercy and know the joy of of your grace and of your forgiveness. Lord, meet with us in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.